Ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, July 31st. We are in Richmond, Virginia. I am your host, Cheats. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. And as always, we are joined by the one, the only, Gigi Broadway all day. Gigi, how you feeling? Chia, I feel good. I am here. What's going on? What is going on? There was a lot happening over the weekend. Richmond was just completely popping over the weekend. How was your weekend? Well, don't tease me, Cheats, because my weekend was okay. I had some car trouble, so I was stranded. Just okay? Yeah, I was stranded. I missed everything this weekend. I missed a lot. So you got to catch me up. Um... But yeah, I was kind of stranded uh, at the crib, so I got some cleaning and some some yard work done. <laughs> so that's it. So tell me what's going on, man. Well, what I mean, it, what happened this weekend? There's a lot. Where do we start? Do we want to start in the region or do we want to start in Richmond? In Richmond, I will say that first and foremost, shout out to all the wonderful people at Vossen Brewery. They celebrated their one-year anniversary over the weekend i was on hand to MC that event it was a wonderful wonderful event the bush league black alley chance fisher bioritmo it was a lovely display of humanity out in scott's edition so i was there all day and so i couldn't do or couldn't be at everywhere i know my wife Aria was able to go over to Hardywood where they were doing the Heart and Soul Festival over there. Shout out to Kelly Lemon, mm-hmm. uh, Jess, Roscoe, Lonnie B, everybody that was out there because I know they had a wonderful event uh, on Saturday as well. I was not out at Innsbruck. I heard Nelly was out there and Nelly did a did a Nelly. show out in Innsbruck uh, Friday night. Back back it up a day. Uh, shout out to everybody over at the Beastly's Lounge, Beastly Lounge, Mike Beastly, and those guys had a sold out, full capacity hip hop show, independent hip hop show at Flora. I know that went fantastic. Sam Reed did her Sharon Jones thing over at the Broadberry. It was just a lot. I mean, not to mention we're doing all this and not mentioning that the Washington football team, I refuse to say the name, but the Washington football team's training camp Mm -hmm. kicked off, so they're all here. The Washington football team's here in Richmond. Uh, I mean, there was just so much. a lot. And let's not mention that President Barack Obama, former President Barack Obama, and former First Lady Michelle Obama were up in D.C. at FedEx Field with uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z. There's just so much going on. It's That was everywhere I clicked on everywhere every site. So, and I don't know, because I think as well, I think Jan, we were saying Janet Jackson, I think, was down in the Virginia Beach area doing a show. Obama, uh, Hove, Beyonce, they were all up in D.C. And then Richmond had all of these things. It was just, Richmond is, it, it, I mean. It's it, a good time. It's, it's a good time. time, man. It's a good time to be alive. I don't know how your weekend was. Uh, I hope you had a great weekend. I'm sure I forgot a ton of things. But email us at the show as always at thecheatsmovement at gmail.com. Let us know how your weekend was. Let us know your thoughts on this growing, changing Richmond region. We're so excited about that. Yes. Man. I'm super excited. I'll tell you. There's a couple things that I want to mention, and i got to get to the right order of them. But the thing that's dominating my mind right now is, you may not know this, Gigi, but I just started a diet. Oh, Lord. I have to do it. You know what I'm saying? 
I'm getting up there in an age where I got to start living right, living healthy. You know what I mean? I can't be eating all kinds of foods at all hours of the night. Mm. So I've struggled because I, I, I realized that I have the mind of an obese person. As do I. And so uh, I think about food all the time. I think about like, I think about food while I'm eating food. I'm thinking about like my next meal while I'm eating food. How can you not? It's, an, it's hey, blessing and a curse, I guess. My diet is, uh, uh, it's one of those things where it affects my mood. It affects how excited I am, how cranky I get. It's just one of those things. So I was going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, what has been your most effective diet? It depends on the area of effectiveness we're talking about. <laughs> uh, because um, Losing weight and getting healthy. If that's the premise, to get healthy, lose weight. What is the most effective diet that you've been a part of? I'm going to be honest. I haven't been able to stick to a diet long enough to reap the benefits or the effects. I think the longest I've been able to like withstand like a diet or a detox or like a healthy type of food schedule is uh, like four days. Ooh. And that Ooh. was it. That's it? That's the whole time? That was the whole time. And that was nothing but fruits, veggies, um, a little protein, but like no red meat, no pork. Oh, it was just four days. Just four days. What's the easiest for you, a detox or a diet? I'm assuming, given your willpower, a detox. Can you do those types of things? Both of those are equally <laughs> the hardest things I've ever attempted to do in my life. Oh, well, that gives me absolutely no motivation. Um, I apologize. In regards to, I think I'm in day three ish, day four ish. Oh, wow. And I can't tell, you're still pleasant. No, I mean, I, so it, it goes in waves. So if you talk to me around five o'clock <laughs> before I ate dinner, it was horrible. Oh. But uh, shout out to my man. I don't know if he listens to the show or he's listening today. I know he's a friend. Shout out to my guy, RVA Coffee Stain, who does the RVA Coffee Stain cartoons all around Richmond. Uh, Doug is an amazing guy. And Doug is actually in the last six months, he's lost 50 pounds. And wow. so he put it on his blog. That's right, WRIR, we're giving a shout-out to Doug on his blog, rvacoffeestain.com, about just kind of what he did to lose about 50 pounds in six months. Um, So you can read that. I did read it. I didn't apply his exact diet, but there are principles of, like, you know, knowing what you're going to eat. Because if you don't know what you're going to eat, then you'll probably go to, like, a fast food spot. Definitely. So, like, know what you're going to eat, prepare your meals in advance, just kind of know what you're not going to eat and I think those things might be helpful. I think so. With that said, let's talk about two things that will not be on our diet. One, barbecue. (laughs) And two, beer. Because we've got a shout out. Richmond has gotten a lot of love recently and I don't know if you heard this story, but there is a brewery in Richmond, Final Gravity Brewing uh, Company. The Doppler effort was named the 12th best IPA in the nation, according to Paste Magazine. It's right here in Richmond, Virginia. It is Final Gravity Brewing, so congrats to them. They were named the number 12th IPA in the nation, according to Paste Magazine. I have never had it. I like IPAs. I did not know this until later in life, but IPAs have grown on me. I've just never been to this particular brewery, so I'm going to do that sometime in the future do you have a favorite there's a lot of breweries in in richmond do you have a favorite brewery Gigi? i like them all i'm gonna be honest i don't have one in particular um i'm trying to stay away but it's hard and it's hard when they start you know when they keep pumping out these 
great beers, man. I'm trying God, to think. So, obviously, I don't want to bury the lead because I just did the one-year anniversary for Boston. So, I do want to congratulate them and, and say, no, they're not an IPA. They're a sours. They're big on uh, sour beer, like sour ales. So, yeah. um, I'm a big fan of them. I'm a big fan of uh, Arden. Arden, um, in Scott's edition, I'm a big fan of. Yeah. You got to be a big fan of Hardywood. Hardywood's kind of like the. How is Hardy? Hardywood's kind of the OG right down of the brewery game in Richmond. It For seemed sure. like Hardywood was first, and then everything kicked off. But they really do good work, uh, and they just have a great organization over there. And the one out in West Creek is crazy. If you've ever been, I mean, crazy. So the one in the city is great. Yeah. The one out in West Creek, crazy. I have to go out and explore. I think I drink Hardywood the most, so. With that said, the other thing we're going to talk about really quickly before we get into our hot topics of the day is some barbecue. And I bring that up because Mm. just like the IPA, there's a barbecue spot, ZZQ in Richmond, was named by Food and Wine Magazine as the best barbecue in the state of Virginia and one of the best spots to eat barbecue in the entire country. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Best barbecue in the state of Virginia? ZZQ, ZZQ, according to Food and Wine Magazine. So this isn't just me and you making a list of random okay. we see it. It is Food and Wine Magazine listed ZZQ in Scott's edition, the best barbecue in the state. Have you had ZZQ barbecue? Not yet, but I'm coming for them. Let me ask the listeners, the listeners, have you had ZZQ barbecue? Let me know what you think. Are they the best barbecue in VA? If not, you email us and tell us who is the best barbecue. We'll do our own informal poll about what's the best barbecue in Virginia, Richmond region, and so forth. I can only talk about the Richmond region, so I will ask you, Gigi, what is your favorite barbecue spot in the country? Well, not in the country, but in the region. Well... I try not to eat barbecue too much, but when I do, Buzz and Ned's really does it for me. Love Buzz and Ned's. Every time. I Every love time. Buzz and Ned's. I haven't had a miss at Buzz and Ned's yet. And Q's, shout out to Q's, is very good too. I love, so Buzz and Ned's I do like a lot. I know my mom, uh, my wife, I was say my mom. <laughs> she would not like that. My wife is a fan of Mission. She likes Mission oh, Barbecue quite I heard a Mission bit. Was good too. But I, I really like, Buzz and Ned's is probably my, my top. Shout out to Ronnie's, Alamo. What There's happened so many. to Hawks, though? Remember, Hawks used to be the staple back in the There's day. There's so many great barbecue joints, man. You tell us, what is your favorite? In our Cheats Movement on WRIR informal poll, what is the best barbecue in Richmond, the best barbecue in the area, the best barbecue I've ever had in my entire life? Had to be Arthur Bryant's in Missouri. I think they have a spot in Kansas City. Oh. And Arthur Bryant's in Kansas City was the best barbecue I've ever had. What makes barbecue the best? You know what I mean? Because there's so many preferences. You have like the sweet stuff. Yep. Like, like... Yeah. I mean, you got to just, man, it's, it is not an easy thing. It is not, it is not an easy thing, but. Especially on a diet. What's, what's good? Yeah, this what, is. Why are, we, why are we talking about Part of this is because I'm on a diet, so I can't talk about <laughs> anything else. But uh, food that I can't eat. Ladies and gentlemen, you tell us what is your favorite barbecue. You tell us what is your favorite IPAs. Let us know about this Richmond food and drink culture because we're so excited about it. With that said, it's time to really start the show. Without no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dipset. 
Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. I am your host, Cheats, and I am joined, as always, by Gigi Broadway. You already know. This episode is brought to you by our good friends over at 804 RVA, one of the best co-working spots in Richmond. And if you just want to check it out, make sure you check out their co-working experience. Say hello to Larkin and the team over there. They are fantastic. Amazing. Coming up in this episode, we have a very special interview. Our featured guest is ESPN senior writer Howard Bryant. He has written a new book called The Heritage, and he talks about the litany and lineage of the black athlete from Paul Robeson to Colin Kaepernick. Howard Bryan is one of the best authors that I've ever been able to have the pleasure of reading. He's just great. You may know him as the bald brother with the earring on the sports reporters on ESPN, (laughs) but I will tell you, he is one of the best sports writers in the game. It was an honor to be able to talk to him, so you'll really enjoy that interview, and that's coming up probably around the half an hour mark of this episode. With that, Gigi, are you ready? Yes, I am. First up in the We See It category, I will ask you, do you see it? Mayor LeVar Stoney has been in the news. The Richmond Police Department has been in the news. Mayor Stoney has decided, in a good way, I think this is this is a good thing. Mayor Stoney is being transparent. He's taking his message to the people. He is holding mayor's office hours around the city. And at the last two of these office hours, he has been addressed by family members and supporters of Marcus David Peters. Marcus David Peters was the unarmed man who was shot and killed by Richmond police in May. I think it was May 14th. And they are using this platform, the mayor's office hours, as a platform to list, you know, list their grievances with the transparency and leadership and list their grievances on behalf of their slain loved one. It is a complicated story, but it is one of the one. It is a story that has dominated kind of Richmond's conscious community. Gigi, what do you think about this approach of meeting the mayor where he is at office hours, meeting the police chief where he is, and challenging those types of leaders for transparency in these types of sensitive cases? I kind of have mixed feelings about it, but I will say I am mad at him. And I, I think we're at a point collectively as a society that we're, we're tired. We're tired. We don't feel like we're being heard. We don't feel like there's any resolutions to any of the problems that we're facing. So at this point, we got to meet things head on. If there's office hours to address things, why not roll up in there and, and see if we can make something happen? So I'm, I'm, I, I understand. Gigi, you bring up a good point. And the effort for more transparency in on behalf of Marcus David Peters has been led by his sister, Princess Blanding. She has led some demonstrations. She's attended these office hours with the mayor and the police chief. They do have a list of uh, demands that they would they, they've been asking from Richmond leadership. I believe there's six bullet points. One of those bullet points was recently just very recently i want to say in the last 72 hours or so um, may have been addressed in some way one of the demands was the release of details of the police department's crisis intervention training which did make it out to the public i believe within the last 72 hours but 
I wrote about this on the cheatsmovement.com today. One of the things that I think is very, very important for the leadership to relay, especially if they're going to continue the line of we can't comment while the investigation is going on, is an understanding that you're dealing with real people, that you're dealing with people that are grieving, the people that have a lot of questions about law enforcement in general, and you have an unarmed, naked individual that is having what is clear to be some type of mental challenge, like mental break, um, and he lost his life. So I think the challenge is if you're going to come, if you're going to restate the line of we can't comment while investigation is going on, you have to prove that there's some empathy there. You have to prove that there's some compassion there. Is there is there anything that do you think can be done differently? Like, I do understand the we can't comment while an ongoing investigation is going on. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because their hands are seemingly or somewhat tied, which is understandable. But the people need answers. Like, this isn't the first time. You know what I mean? So it's just. But it's the first time in Richmond. Right, first time in not not ever, but it's the first time in this kind of. Well, it was a, a mentally challenged guy who got shot where, like last year. By police, by Richmond City Police. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah, it was okay. one of my um one of my friends' neighbors actually, and it's it's so it's not it's like we need some type of resolve. We need some type of action or some type of at least some type of movement toward a resolution whether that what that looks like i don't know but police training seems to be at the forefront of my mind i don't know so i it's just it's a it's a sensitive subject man it is a sensitive subject and it's a it's a difficult subject and one that hopefully our city can resolve and move forward and grow together because at the end of the day we are rooting for the city and we're rooting for the community and we're rooting for you know these things to work out in a way in which everyone feels like they've been heard everyone feels like you know changes that need to be made are made and we can move forward together as opposed to causing bigger chasms in the city so moving on, let's talk a little bit about Drake and Drizzy, Drizzy, Drizzy. Well, not so much Drake, but the effect, the sickening effect that Drake has on the people. Are you familiar with the In My Feelings Challenge? Absolutely. It is a big, big challenge on what I thought was probably not one of the best songs on the album, but continue on. I'm so glad because we definitely agree on that. Okay. Now, apparently the challenge has gotten so big that several law enforcement agencies have had to issue public warnings for citizens not to participate in this challenge. I've got it right here. The U.S. National Transportation Safety Board and international police forces have issued warnings about the viral challenge. The warnings particularly related to people jumping out of moving cars and dancing. I've even read that people are getting arrested in Egypt. Then these are mostly teenagers. So the effects that Drake has on teens alone is just, it's crazy. 
India, Malaysia, and the United <laughs> Arab Emirates have all had some type of incident. And a Florida man, uh, I don't know if he got hit by a car, but yeah, it is just crazy. It is just crazy. People are tripping, crashing, and getting hit. And there are some fines all the way up to like $1,000 for some people who are doing this challenge. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. And the real question is, what's wrong with these people? That's what I want to know, MK Ultra. That's what it all comes down to. Have you ever participated in any type of challenge would have allowed you to injure yourself in any way on behalf of a musician that doesn't know who you are? Never. Never. I don't understand it. But who wins in this? Does anyone win? Drake. Drake does win in and the, the sense that he is like the first streaming artist to get to... I can't remember what number it is, it's but dumb. It's just stupid. he is breaking every streaming record in music. He is the king of streams, Drake is. And do we rate the album out of five stars? What do you rate Scorpion? I'm over it. I don't, I don't want to. I'm did, just over it. Did you listen to it? Barely. And Barely. It's just not, it's just not it's your just thing. Not, no, it's not my thing. I've listened to the album, and I have this challenge with all double albums. So you listen to both sides? I listened to, yes, I think I made it through both sides. I have, like, there is only, I'm trying to think of the best double CD of all time. It's got to be. Dipset, of course. No, no. It's got to be Life After Death. It's got to be Biggie's Life After Death. I'm trying to think. Usually every double CD can be reduced to a, a, a really amazing CD. That's like, true. Give what? me some more, though. My memory's bad. What? Throw some more double CDs out there. I can't. I can't. I know Life After Death was a double that I felt like did the double justice. It definitely did the double Wu-Tang, justice. Wu-Tang, didn't Wu-Tang have a I double? They had a double. They, so their day, not, their their second album after uh, 36 Chambers was a double, and that was an amazing, amazing album. But I would go Life After Death as the best doubles CD of I call it CD but double CD of all time. We're missing it's one that's on the cusp of my mind that was so dope and I, of course I can't remember it but yeah life after death. Moving on, do you see or did you see the massive massive plummet that Facebook took over the last couple of days? Facebook had hit a record record low in regards to their stock prices and I'm trying to figure out exactly what the number is. Facebook lost about 120 billion in market capitalization and when the market closed last Wednesday, which leads me to this question GG Broadway. Is Facebook over? I hope so. I'm over it. <laughs> I am so over Zuckerberg and Facebook's manipulation and privacy foolishness. I'm over them. I would like to actually go holler at Tom in my space again. I kind of miss I miss Tom over there in MySpace. The grass is always greener on the other side. Facebook was massively better than MySpace. No, not... Facebook not, is massively better in, than MySpace. In what way? In what way? In, always. No, that's not true. Facebook is becoming so... Oh, my gosh. The, the amount of ads, the, the amount of privacy that's being like sold to the highest bidder the amount of like social manipulation that it does with these can- oh it's i'm sick of them i'm si- i hope they just go so, out of business so is facebook over do you think facebook is over i think that i don't think it's over i think they have actually have a problem with i mean how many people are on facebook 
I think it's like what? I think they have a problem with new users because what happens is Facebook is They're running such, out of people. Right. They're such a world dominant conglomerate effort that now they're not adding new users at the rate that, you know, that they have been in the past. I don't think Facebook is over. I think Facebook is now just like not cool. It's just like a thing now. Like it's not. The, the coolness that people thought about with the social network movie and all that and everybody getting on Facebook to see what everybody was doing. We've got so many platforms. Now, here's the thing. Facebook owns Instagram. Yeah. So it's not like, so if your choice of hotness is Instagram, mm-hmm. guess what? Facebook owns that too. Yeah, I mean. So I don't think Facebook is over as a company, but I think Facebook as a platform is not nearly as effective and cool and hip, if you will. Yeah, especially among, like, the teenagers. Right. They they don't want to be on anything that their parents are on. They don't want to be on anything that their, you know, older, uncool relatives are on. Exactly. So, yeah, my, my niece is 13 years old, and Facebook is not a thing for her at all. Insta- at all. Instagram's a huge thing, though. Oh, of course. So, again, yeah. Facebook still wins. They do. And that's the sad part. No matter what, they still win. All right, so let's move on to a guy that give, has given me an emotional roller coaster ride throughout the years. I started out hating this guy. I liked him a little bit. I went back to hating him. And now I love him. Because LeBron James is making moves. You're talking about LeBron James? LeBron James. You're talking about L.A. Laker LeBron James? Ugh. Okay, so you don't love that part. No, nah, I don't love that part. Okay, I just want to make sure you're not you're not you're not loving that part. But you love uh, LeBron. Why do you love LeBron James today? I love LeBron James because he is using his status, he's using his influence, and he's using his money for good. You know, he's changing the game in more ways than one. Not only the sport is he changing um, in a creative and positive way, but he's changing the world. He's giving back. He's building schools. I mean, this guy is just making a difference, and I love it. And this school that you're talking about is the I Promise School. It's a public school in Akron, Ohio. LeBron James just opened up this week. Uh, it'll start with third and fourth graders, but as the school expands every year, it'll hold first grade through eighth grade in his hometown of Akron. I promise has started. LeBron James is very proud of it. He does believe that this will be his legacy, if you will, in regards to his give back. Couple questions. My first question is, why are kids in Akron, Ohio starting school on July 30th? Oh, that is insane. I don't understand that. So they don't wait till the whole Labor Day thing or they don't wait till September. They don't wait till the fall. Literally, kids walked into class today at the I Promise Academy, and it's a public school. That's crazy, but you know what? I mean, hey, that's the kids' jobs, man, to learn. Get them in school, man. There was a Richmond school, too, the, the first year-round Richmond school that mm-hmm. I think started up not too, re- like, opened their doors not too long ago. Yeah. I just, I can't remember the name of the school, but I do remember reading an article that said Richmond opened his doors for their first, like, year-round school, like, within the last, I wanna say, couple of couple weeks maybe last week or so that's crazy that's crazy to me i i don't think i could do year-round school as a kid as a kid i look forward to the summer the summer was a big deal to me oh as a kid it's trash but in the grand scheme of things i think it's a good idea i'm interested to see how it goes you know 
this is so this is interesting because in our featured interview we do talk to ESPN senior writer. He's going to be coming on the show, uh, and you can hear his interview. ESPN senior writer Howard Bryant. We do talk about the history of black athletes up until today. LeBron James does come up in our conversation in regards to how active his kind of social community give back is and at what risk. It's a very interesting conversation because we do see things like him speaking out on on behalf of Trayvon Martin. We do see things about him speaking out on Eric, Eric Gardner. We do see things like him building schools. The interesting part that Howard Bryant brings up, and we'll get to this in the interview in a little bit, is at what risk, right? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about the history of the black athlete, when you're talking about a Jackie Robinson or a Paul Roberson or a Jim Brown, you're talking about a lot of folks, even to Muhammad Ali. He's a little bit different, and, and Mr. Bryant will explain that. But you're talking about athletes willing to risk everything, including their livelihood, for the advancement of the, uh, the black community, if you will. It's interesting because in 2018, he brings up an interesting point of how much are these athletes in today, even the outspoken ones like a LeBron James or a Chris Paul or a Carmelo Anthony, because they've never had to give up their corporate sponsorships. Mm-hmm. So Nike is a big LeBron James sponsor. Nike probably plays LeBron James more than any NBA contract. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a, a little bit of a hypocrisy in the sense of, you know, Nike's branding shirts that say equality that are supposed to be advocating against police brutality, yet they're giving discounts to the police department. Nike is for for you to for the police department to use Nike gear. So it's interesting. Howard Bryant is again one of the best writers and best thinkers, and just a great conversation. I mean, he was just great to talk to. He brings it up in the interview. So stand by for that. We are so so honored to have him on the show and i'm yes. excited for you to hear that interview coming up very shortly that's gonna have to wrap it on we see it gg broadway another one down huh another one down we will be back with our featured interview with espn senior writer howard bryant and then we'll be back again with our music picks ladies and gentlemen we are back this is the cheats movement on wrir this is our feature interview. We are very, very honored to to have on the line one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite sports writers from, look, from sports reporter fame back in the day. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, none other than Howard Bryant. Howard, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, and I should add in there, look, I should ask in there what's, what's happening now. Senior writer at ESPN the magazine and also NPR contributor, right? Um, I've been an NPR contributor since 2006, so yeah, it's, uh, I've been at NPR longer than I've been at ESPN. That's amazing. And, you know, look, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's self-described as, look, uh, what, what is it always? Uh, and I, look, I want to make sure I'm appropriate by saying this, but it's like the brother with the earring on the Sports Reporters, which was one of our favorite shows in our household always know, growing right? up. Uh, it was just amazing to see you uh, as as often as we did every Sunday talking about culture and sports. And we're going to talk about that right now because your book, your new book, is The Heritage, Black Athletes, A Divided America, and Politics of Patriotism. 
Now, given the timing of the book, most people would think that it is related to the NFL and Colin Kaepernick and those types of things. I've heard you talk, and you said you've said the true inspiration of this book actually comes from post 9/11 to Ferguson to Eric Gardner to Sandra Bland. Talk to us a little bit about how the inspiration and how the heritage came about. Well, I think where it really did come from was looking at where the culture was with the collision of Ferguson. I think that was the first thing that hit me was when when we saw what happened with Michael Brown and Ferguson, and then you had Eric Garn, then you had Tamir Rice, and you started to see all these viral videos. And you began to see something that you hadn't seen in a long time, which was the players actually getting involved in this. You saw LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Derek Rose and the the St. Louis Rams, you had all these players you know, do uh, be very, very public in ways that we hadn't seen in years. And I started to think about where we were in this moment of time. And I think one thing that struck me was that finally there was a link to the activism that you had seen in the 60s and the 70s and even in the 40s and 50s with Jackie Robinson and, and Hank Aaron and, 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 and those players. And so what struck me about it in terms of the landscape of where we were was the fact that unlike in Bill Russell and Jackie Robinson's time, the teams did not get involved in politics. They really pretty much avoided these subjects because they didn't want to upset half the fan base. You get involved in politics, somebody's going to be mad. But in today's day and age, you didn't see that. Today, you saw the sports teams, they were invested. They were embedding these military and nationalistic symbols into the game. And and sports had always been considered to be a place where you didn't have that. That sports was supposed to be the place where you didn't have the politics, you didn't have the, the all these different symbols necessarily. And so I was wondering where those symbols came from. And I started to, to think... Why is this different now? Why is why are we looking at the flags and the flyovers and the police and all of these things? How did they suddenly become part of the game day experience in a way that they had never been before? And the reason for that, of course, was 9-11. So what you were seeing is the collision of the black athlete post-Ferguson colliding with sports in post-9-11. And what you started to see, and of course then when you get to Colin Kaepernick, you add to that Donald Trump, and now you start to see these two elements being weaponized against one another. You see Kaepernick using sports as a way to get people to pay attention to what was happening in the black communities. You saw Freddie Gray and you saw Carmelo Anthony get involved when Freddie Gray was killed. But then you also saw the government, you saw the president of the United States essentially calling these players un-American and saying they didn't belong in the country and questioning their citizenship and demanding that they that they no longer have jobs. And these are things we hadn't seen before. And, and you mentioned this, and we have seen it. We've seen a really distinction in sports between politics and patriotism. When did that... Yep, we've like, seen that, but what you, what, you, what you didn't see was a sitting president essentially advocating that employees be unemployed, um, that they lose their jobs. Right. Um, that part of it, now on the one hand, what you did see, is, and I've talked about this in the book certainly, is this 
any, anybody who is part of this heritage, this inheritance of black political protest in sports, they all pay this massive price. That that Colin Kaepernick being wiped out of the out of professional sports is no different than Smith and Carlos being wiped out of professional sports, or Kurt Flood, or Mahmoud Arouf or Craig Hodges. But what is different, certainly today, is the fact that you have a combination of sports team, government, Pentagon, all embedding themselves into sports for the purpose of militarizing the game. And this is this is a new space for us, especially when it comes to questioning your citizenship and, and who gets to be patriotic and all of that stuff. Do you think that people really recognize with kind of Kaepernick in the current NFL, do, they, do you think they recognize that this is very similar to the, the uh, people you mentioned? Like when I hear Kurt Floyd's, Kurt Floyd's story, it's still to me in my age bracket. I'm like, yeah, that's still that couldn't happen today. But the, I don't know if people recognize like Colin Kaepernick is happening today. Does that make sense? Well, it does. But I think what it what it is is that I think you run into this idea that that something that's happening in your time is somehow less valuable or less important than what happened in the past because you're not responsible or you don't view yourself as responsible for what happened in the past. And that's why Colin Kaepernick is so dangerous. If you notice that what took place in 2016, he took his knee just a couple months after Muhammad Ali died. So think about the American reaction to this, that you talked about Ali being this wonderful champion for human rights and, and courage. And then a guy in real time was doing the same thing two months later and you wanted to bury him. And the country wanted to throw him in the garbage. And so you have to ask yourself, what is the difference between this deification of Muhammad Ali and the vilification of Colin Kaepernick? Well, and the difference, of course, is, is the that... Is, is, is it the threat? Is the threat. Yep. Is that Muhammad Ali was dead. And that Muhammad Ali was no longer... He, he wasn't indicting you... He was indicting your parents or your grandparents or whatever the age bracket is. Colin Kaepernick is indicting you right now in real time, telling you that this is what's happening in your country and that you need to do something about this. And and people just didn't want to hear that. It, the whole and, and again, you the whole Ali uh, legacy to me to a, to kind of someone that is. Um, not grown up kind of currently presently in that time but the Ali legacy is fascinating even more so and more valuable than I could ever put into words in regards to while he was active and while he was a threat and while he was doing those indictments he was not hailed like most people growing up today would think that oh yeah just Ali is one of the most beloved figures in all of sports and I don't think it's one of the most hated figures <laughs> right, right. I don't, people I mean I don't I mean it's hard for me to even put in perspective a time when people did not idolize and revere Muhammad Ali but you know you go back and you watch what was happening in the 70s and when he was fighting Joe Frazier and how the country was divided it's an amazing legacy it really is well the difference is too and I talk about this often in the book is Ali won his title back if Ali didn't win his title back uh, 
I think we're looking at an entirely different person. We're talking about an entirely different person. We're talking about an entirely different heritage, an entirely different story, because everybody else got destroyed. Jackie Robinson, for as great as he was, baseball never offered him another job. Kurt Flood was blackballed. Smith and Carlos were blackballed. When you look at the players who paid the price for getting involved, they paid severe prices. Ali was sentenced to five years in jail and lost three and a half years of his career. Why is Muhammad Ali different than everybody else? Because he won. He got his title back. He got his title back not once but twice. And so there's a heroism to him that the other players don't have. What happened to Colin Kaepernick? They booted him and he's never played football again. So Ali is the shining example. He's the he's also the he's the, also the anomaly in that you think about the vindication of Ali. You know what I mean by that is by the time 1975 rolled around and the Vietnam War was over, he was right. So all these people who were calling him anti-American and un-American and a coward and the whole thing, he was right. He stood up to the American government and he won his title back. So in a way, you could say something about Ali that you couldn't say about anybody else, which was that the story ended the way it should have ended. Whereas these other guys, they were treated unfairly and the bad guys won, but not in Ali's case. And, and this brings up an interesting point of what um, I've heard you speak about in the past, and it really is a, something that comes up is when you infuse uh, money into the circumstance. Now, in Ali, uh, obviously the pay scales are different, but the fact of the matter was Ali was that central figure in one of the world's most popular sports where you had to deal with the champion, right? So when you talk about money, one of the things – when I talk about money in sports – and possibly, you can um, elaborate or tell me if I'm wrong path here, but one of the things that makes the NFL different from possibly the NBA, uh, and possibly Major League Baseball to an extent, but definitely you know, the, the differences between the NFL and the NBA is that you have these uh, you know globally iconic stars when you talk about a LeBron James or Carmelo Anthony and a Dwayne Wade and a Chris Paul. And they're they you know they, the game stops with them right and it's so they're paying them so much money uh, the brains are paying them so much money and so uh, Colin Kaepernick you may be able to sit on the sideline I, I'm amazed I, I could never imagine uh, even with all the stuff in the NFL if Dak Prescott and who doesn't get paid that much but Dak and Ezekiel Elliott and those guys said you know what we're gonna take a knee and then the the NFL is gonna have to deal with this uh, it, it's you elaborate to me what you think the differences is when you talk about the NBA and the NFL, these, you know, kind of recognized stars when you talk about the biggest in the game and the approaches that and the flexibility they're able to have uh, versus the leagues. Well, I think that the players, the, the biggest difference is attitude. The NFL players, obviously you've got, you've got, issues and contracts that make the NFL different than the NBA, obviously, in terms of control. But the biggest difference is, is that the NFL players act like sheep, and they get treated like sheep. And you don't even have to talk about politics for that. You can have this conversation on, along any line you want. You can have this conversation along labor, 
you can have this conversation along you can have this conversation along contracts you can have this conversation along safety you can have this conversation along any subject you want and the NFL players fold when it comes to dealing with management and so because of that you recognize that they're they don't have anywhere near the type of courage that they you know that is required of them they don't they don't have what it takes to fight because they don't want to fight if that makes any sense no it does absolutely so so when you're looking at the NFL players the NFL player mindset the first attitude is to is is to not stick together it's to protect what they have it's to fear management they don't view themselves as necessarily a powerful collective which they are whereas NBA players i think because their money is guaranteed and because there are fewer of them and because it's a, a more individualistic sport they recognize that they are the game they're the product and NFL players have been taught generation to generation to generation that you can be replaced and we've seen it in labor when they did replace the players in 1987 right and and you saw that the Washington Redskins decided to give those replacement players championship rings which is another message pitch to the players that you guys don't matter oh wow i never and put so, it in that perspective i remember i i heard the announcement i guess they're doing that this year right yes how do you give guys who took the jobs of your favorite players championship rings how do you do that if you think that Doug Williams and Joe Theismann and Mark Rippon and Gary Clark and Art Monk and all those guys were your favorite players. How do you let management replace them and then reward those guys by giving them rings? The message is is that the team is always more valuable than the individual and that the individual doesn't matter. Wow. Wow. And that's and I never actually I never looked at it that way cuz I saw the, you know, the 30 for 30 and the the you know Washington Redskins replacement players, and I saw the division, and you know you kind of get your heart strung thinking like, man, you know. But uh, it's an interesting with the timing, as you mentioned, is, is so this could be more of a messaging to those guys. You work for Tim Kaine. I do. How how would you feel if Tim Kaine replaced you with somebody sure. else because you wanted a raise? Sure, I'd feel awful. You'd feel awful. Absolutely. And then. After you come back and you guys win an election, the guys who took your job, he invites them to dinner and gives them a plaque, too. Exactly. I've never looked at it that way. Never have. That's it, but that's an amazing perspective to be put into. You're like, wait a minute, man. You took sure. my job. Yep. I'm not going to sit next to you. You don't get to You don't get to celebrate in this. Wow. You know? Yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. No, that's it. That's uh, mine. Like, you're exactly right in regards to looking at it in that perspective and, and and like you said just a force of control right a force of dominance and well and that's do- right and the and and the players are in a disadvantage here because the fan doesn't look at it this way and and the and the teams and the leagues rely on this that the fan is going to is going to eventually warm to whoever is wearing the uniform and that doesn't happen in basketball because you can't replace LeBron James. 
The fans won't allow it. I mean, this is one of the things that the players don't seem to recognize. Fans, when the, when a fan watches the NFL, they are looking for the best in the world. They don't want to just watch the Patriots or the Cowboys or the Eagles. They want to see football played by the best football players in the world. So eventually, the whole thing collapses if you don't put the best players in the world on the field. That the players don't believe enough in themselves to see that through. Are we not giving enough credit to the NBA players? Because they've done an amazing job on on social justice issues. They've done an amazing job in regards to speaking out and doing things at the NFL. And to an extent, Major League Baseball doesn't really do, right? And, I mean, I do think that we recognize Chris Paul or Carmelo Anthony or LeBron James, but... Should, should they be in, in the kind of the historical context of what's happening? We've gone through, you know, that period of Michael Jordan not saying anything or Tiger Woods not saying anything. These guys are actually out there saying it. And should we, you know, it kind of harkens back to a different era with a, with a black athlete. Should they be getting more credit? Well, that's one of the questions that I, I ask in the book, which is, you know, which is also... Do you get to join the pantheon of Paul Robeson and Jackie Robinson and Muhammad Ali simply by wearing a T-shirt? How much risk have you really taken? Are you, are you really making a stand when you've got your corporate sponsor backing you with commercials and T-shirts that say equality on them, even though Nike is offering discounts to the police for buying Nike products? The same police that you're protesting. So it's more complicated now because the money and the corporate involvement of it is so great. But I'm very dubious and I'm not willing to take a player just because they wear an I Can't Breathe t-shirt and put them in the same category as Muhammad Ali. you got to do more than that. Let me, this is, let me switch gears because I know we got a little bit short on time and I do want to ask you uh, one of my favorite books that you've written. Uh, is obviously the book on Henry Aaron. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal book. Uh, I learned so much about Henry Aaron's. Speaking of which, it led me to really kind of question in my world of things. Is like, is, is, is Henry Aaron completely underrated? As great as a ball player as he was, is he even more, like, should there be a more nationally recognized platform for, you know, one of the all-time greats because he was that good and just did so much. Um, one of the things I did want to ask you about in regards to uh, guys like Henry Aaron, a guy like Dusty Baker or a Bill Russell, when you look back through history, or obviously they're all judged through different lenses, but, you know, are they underrated in regards to what they did for society and what they did for culture? And as an African-American, what they've done for the African-American athlete? Well, I, I think that I don't think you can ever call Henry under uh, never overrated, always underrated. Uh, I, I just think that these players are just so fantastic in terms of what they are able to do and still concentrate. That's the thing that always sticks out to me is one thing Henry told me a long time ago was to not bring your problems to the ballpark and not take the problems at the ballpark home. And that requires an amazing amount of concentration. And I just, I still think when I just think about this heritage, I just think about these guys and their ability to 
do what they do, because none of it works if you don't succeed on the field. So I, I'm just, I'm always just going to be in awe of that. And you, you're, you're a Boston guy, right? A Massachusetts guy. Um, we, you, like, we don't talk enough about baseball. Um, there was a, a effort, I want to say, several years ago, and, and there's still an effort. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know, you can tell me how programs like RBI are doing, but I grew up playing baseball. Every year, I get more and more concerned with a lack of uh, African-American kids playing baseball. And I look at the numbers of the major leagues um, and just kids just not playing it as much as I think they they should because it's a great game. Uh, Is there like should we be concerned as African-Americans about the lack of African-Americans in Major League Baseball? Sure, you should be concerned. You should be concerned simply because it's not for lack of effort. I mean, it's not because black kids suddenly don't want to pick up a ball and bat. I think it's because the game is being drifted away from them. They're not. They're not the target anymore. I think that black kids have been sacrificed. I think that I think that they've made the lazy argument, they being Major League Baseball, and that oh, black kids rather play football and basketball, and they just they just give away that market. When really, what's happening is that the kids are being priced out of the game, and that baseball is looking to college for its athletes, and baseball is two percent black. You know, college baseball is two percent black. Because it's a non-revenue sport, so you got to start funding these kids to play. It costs money. The reason why you had black players play in the first place wasn't because they were so special back then. It was because they they were cost-effective. You could get these players, the Aaron's and the Robinsons and the Mazes. You can get them from the Negro leagues, and you didn't have to pay a lot for them. Today, you don't have to pay a lot for Dominican kids and Venezuelan kids and those players. And so that's why those players dominate the game, whereas African-American players are now suddenly expensive because you actually have to compete for them. You have to compete for the best athletes with the, with the other sports, where in the past you didn't. So if you look for the players, you're going to find them, and baseball just doesn't really want to look and do what it takes and compete. It's a different world today than going down the back roads in Alabama and finding Willie Mays sitting in the backyard. It doesn't work that way anymore. And so if you look for the talent, you'll find the talent. Baseball is looking for talent in college. Baseball is looking for talent in Latin America. And gee, lo and behold, that's where the players are. What what can it's they do? It's not that complicated. So what can they do in regards so regard to, because they did some youth baseball initiatives and things of that nature. Should they be moving those initiatives at the college level or, or high school level? Yeah, but kids those, programs, those programs are not based, those programs are not based on scouting and development. Those programs are based on community development, on community relations. This isn't a community relations issue. This is a scouting and development issue. So you've got to get the teams involved in scouting. And maybe you have to change the rules. Maybe you get rid of the draft, or maybe you give teams more control. Maybe you build academies. You build academies in the United States, and you give the teams control over the player. The reason why the major league teams don't develop players in the United States is because the draft takes the control away from them. Why would I put my resources into a kid in Virginia, even if I'm the Nationals or the Orioles, if they're going to get drafted by the Red Sox? Whereas if I put my resources into some 12-year-old or 15-year-old Dominican kid, I get to control him until he meets the big leagues or until I decide to get rid of him. So it's a question of control. And I'm sorry, on that note, I'm, i got to go. My bosses are emailing me and calling me no, right now. They, so. This is great. Uh, ESPN... Our NPR's Howard Bryan. Thank you so much for the time. I am uh, can't wait to uh, really 
just go even deeper into the heritage it's an amazing book so i hope everybody checks that out hey thank you so much for the time and hey mark thanks for having me all right this is the cheats movement on wrir we want to give a special thanks to howard bryant and uh, we'll be back after this ladies and gentlemen this is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We'd like to thank our very special guest, ESPN senior writer, Howard Bryant. What an amazing interview. Make sure you check out the book, The Heritage. It is available where all books are sold and all the online platforms. Gigi Broadway, we are back. Gigi, how you feeling? Yes, feeling good, man. It's that time of the show where we wrap up. And we give our music picks for the listeners to take away with them for the next two weeks. Gigi, what are you listening to? Well, my little bro, Concept Jackson, dropped a, a dope project, Emergency Raps 3. I think you guys should check it out. It's real cool. And shout out to Ella Styles dropping The Balance, Seven Chakra Theory. That is dope as well. I need y'all to check it out. Two of the best MCs in Richmond, Concept hands Jackson, hands down. Emergency Raps Volume 3 and The Balance by our homie Ella Styles getting it in. Those are amazing, amazing recommendations. Make sure you check those out. I've got to go back to this weekend. I've got to recommend. I'll give two. Since you gave two, I'll give two. Okay. First one really quickly. Anytime Chance Fisher is performing in Richmond, go check him out. I know to. he killed Flora on Friday and then turned right around and killed the Vossen one-year anniversary in Scott's edition on the big stage. So Chance Fisher, make sure you listen to anything that brother puts out. Just extremely talented. And then I've got to give it up for Washington, D.C.'s Black Alley. Black Alley crushed it in Richmond over the weekend. Just one of the best live performances I have seen. They can't be put in a box. Their style is more like... Uh, a mix between rock and hip-hop i mean it's a live band so it's kind of like the roots but it's the roots a little bit more harder like a little bit more grungy it's just the way they do their covers man it's extremely talented they've got a wonderful uh young lady that is like the lead singer of black alley and she has range and can do it all they did a prince remix and then jumped into some Kendrick, and then went back to the Prince remix. Nice. Everybody that was at Boston was just jaw dropped. But if you're familiar, Black Alley's been doing it for years. They've been up and down the East Coast, and they've really just been picking up momentum. But they're extremely talented. The bass player is out of Richmond, Virginia, so shot him out, and it was just great to see. So, Chief, I think it's that time, man. I think it's that time as well. How you feeling? The end of the show. It's the end. It is the end of the show. So much going on. We want to encourage everyone that listens to the show here on WRIR or in podcast land to always feel free to contact us, thecheatsmovement at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. Gigi, what's your Instagram? Gigi underscore Broadway. And I'm at cheats underscore MWC if you ever want to get in contact with us. So much going on in the city. Make sure you keep your head on straight. Without further ado, until next time, we see it. We see it.